this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 102. We'll read the whole chapter. We'll start in a moment there in verse 1. Psalm 102, verse 1. It's hard to believe, but in just 10 days, it will be the 30th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew. How many of you here today were present in Homestead when Hurricane Andrew passed? How many of you? Okay, I see a few hands in the room. Uh, to this day, there have been only four Cat 5 hurricanes that made landfall at that strength, and Hurricane Andrew was one of them. I was not here at the time. Uh, I had just begun my freshman year in college, uh, but everybody who was here describes Homestead as being before and after Andrew. That it was one town or before the storm came, and it was a completely different town after it passed. Well, about 2,700 years ago, something similar happened. There was a beautiful land that was full of beautiful cities. It was rich in history and in culture. The people there prospered. And then they experienced what you might call a terrible storm. And everything changed. Complete devastation followed. Homes were destroyed. God's people uh, were uh, exiled. Uh, the place where they worshipped uh, was demolished. Families were split. And all of a sudden, all of that beauty that had been there, it was gone. Well, I'm not talking about a literal storm this morning. I'm talking about the storm of God's judgment that came to the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem when after giving them many, many warnings after the people refused to turn away from their sin and from their idols, God sent the Babylonians who conquered Jerusalem. This culminated in 722 B.C. They conquered Judah. They destroyed Jerusalem. They demolished the temple. And they took the best and the brightest of God's people and they shipped them away to live as exiles in a foreign and a pagan land. Now, when this storm came... God's people began asking the same question that people ask today when there is a storm. They asked, where was God? Why did God allow this to happen? There was one man in particular who took all of the frustration and all of the grief that the people were experiencing and he put it into a song. And not just any song, but it is a prayer song that he is singing to the Lord. And it is the psalm that we're going to read this morning, Psalm 102. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this psalmist wrote this song because he wanted them to know and he wants us to know that God is faithful in the storm. 
In fact, God is just as faithful in the storms of life as he is before those storms arrive. Now, we don't know the identity of the author of this particular psalm. The Bible does not tell us who wrote it, but we do know what he wrote and we also know that this psalm is ultimately about Jesus because we are told so in the New Testament. Let me say at the outset, there's no way that I would be able uh, to completely teach and preach my way through this psalm. There are 28 verses. Each one is just loaded with significance, but we are going to try to quickly cover it all. It turns out there are some lessons that God would have us to remember. There are some realities that we see in this psalm that remind us of God's faithfulness even in the storms of life. And first of all, I want you to notice the changing circumstances of life. The changing circumstances of life. Notice verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Can you hear any of that desperation in the psalmist's voice? If you've ever been at the end of your rope, if you've ever found yourself in the midst of a crisis, you can at some point, you have probably cried out and said, God, why are you hiding from me? It doesn't feel like you're there. Well, the psalmist isn't questioning whether or not God can really hear him. And we know that because later on in verse 17, he says, He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. Now, there's a verse to remember and a verse to memorize, there's a verse that you can quote the next time you are wondering whether or not your prayers are getting past the ceiling. This is just the psalmist pouring out his heart to God. We have a phrase for this. We call this being real. No games, no cliches. The psalmist is just being real with God. Look at verse 3. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake and am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. My enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me away 
My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. Now, the psalmist doesn't give us a lot of details here. He's speaking in very figurative and very colorful language to describe for us as best he can how he is feeling. Now, some of these metaphors that the psalmist used, these aren't metaphors that we tend to use anymore, but when you read them, you can still get the picture. You can understand what he means. He talks about his bones burning. This implies tremendous anxiety. He describes himself as being like a bird all by itself on a roof. That implies loneliness. He feels completely alone in his suffering as if there's no one else going through what he has, is going through. You ever felt that way? Have you ever felt to yourself, surely there's no one who's ever felt like this or who's ever been through blank? He talks about eating ashes. That implies bitterness. He feels like God has thrown him aside. You ever felt that way? By the way, don't be afraid to pray this kind of prayer. The Bible gives it to us for a reason. Trust me, God can handle it. He already knows, so tell him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. Notice what the psalmist does here. He begins and he ends this section of the psalm with a statement about brevity. He starts off with, my days are consumed like smoke. And then he ends with, my days are like a shadow and I wither like grass. Everything in between those two statements reminds him that it's all temporary. It's all temporary. The circumstances of life are changing. We think about that hymn. It's probably one of the most famous hymns that have ever been written and is still one of the most popular hymns amongst God's people today. It is well. You remember that first verse? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You live long enough, you're going to experience both peace like a river and sorrows like sea billows rolling. Live long enough, walk with the Lord long enough, you'll become acquainted with both. There's a comedian you may have heard of named Mark Lowry. He used to joke that one of the most frequently used statements in all of Scripture is, it came to pass. Have you noticed that? It's true. It came to pass that such and such happens. And uh, he, he points out it always comes to pass. If you're struggling, it will pass. If you're prospering, it will pass. If you're strong and you're beautiful, it will pass. If you're frail and you're weak, it will pass. Either it will pass or you will pass, he said, but something's going to pass. It all comes to pass. Well, what do these changing circumstances tell us? They tell us that we are finite. They tell us that we are mortal. They tell us that we really do need God. There are a lot of people who 
don't think they need God, but then a storm comes along, either literally or figuratively, and all of a sudden they realize they do need God. A lot of people who won't give God the time of day until some adversity comes into their lives, and then all of a sudden, God has their attention. I remember when Hurricane Irma passed through five years ago, and I think we had like 50 people uh, including some of you in this room right now who took shelter here in the church. And uh, since the storm actually landed on a Sunday, we figured we'd just do what we do every Sunday. And we had worship, and I preached, and I joked afterwards, people pay better attention to my preaching when you can literally hear the howling of a hurricane outside of the building. I thought, we got to start piping in that noise, little special effects. But if God allows a storm to come into our lives in order to get our attention, that is a blessing and not a curse. If the changing circumstances of life remind us that we are not invincible, that we really need God, listen, we should thank God, not curse Him. Because God may use that storm in order to teach us, to remind us that he is faithful even in the middle of it. And so when these storms come, remember the changing circumstances of life and let them point you to God who is always faithful. Let me show you something else we see in this text. We also see the unchanging promises of God. There's the changing circumstances of life, but then... There are the unchanging promises of God. Look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. These last couple of verses are how we know and why we believe that this psalm was written near the end of the exile. The prophet Jeremiah, he had prophesied that once the Babylonians uh, uh, conquered Jerusalem and God's people were exiled, He prophesied that the exile would last exactly 70 years. Well, maybe the author of Psalm 102 pulled out his calendar and then pulled out his calculator and he began to do the math and he knew if God's word is true, if God's promises are true, then that means something good is about to happen. The second section of this psalm is all about God keeping his promises. For this particular psalmist, his eyes told him one thing, but the word of God told him something else. His eyes told him God had forgotten his promises. His eyes told him that God had abandoned his people. Jerusalem had fallen in a foreign pagan army still trampled uh, the, the city of David. The temple was destroyed. Only the ruins remained. This is not what the promises of God were supposed to look like. I mean, God promised Abraham. I said, I'll make you a great nation. 
And God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And he said, all nations will be blessed through you. God promised David that a descendant of his would sit on the throne forever, and his kingdom would never end. Now, to the psalmist, it was kind of hard for him to see in that moment how all of those promises were being carried out. How do you reconcile all of that? with exile. So in this moment, the psalmist had to make a decision. Would he believe what his eyes were telling him? Or would he believe the word of God? Would he believe what his circumstances said about his situation? Or would he choose to believe in the promises of God? And so starting in verse 12, the psalmist chooses to believe God's word over everyone else. He chooses to believe God's promises over everything else happening around him. He said, you, O Lord, shall endure forever. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that happens in our lives that changes the fact that God is sovereign and that God is in control. He's saying, Jerusalem may be in ruins, but you are on the thrones, the throne. The people of God are in exile, but you still reign. Look at verse 15. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. Everything that God allowed to happen to Judah and everything that God allowed to happen to Jerusalem and everything that God allowed to happen to his people was for this purpose in verses 15 and 16. In fact, I would even add, everything that God allows to happen in our lives today is for this purpose. Well, what purpose is that? So that the nations will fear the name of the Lord. So that people from every nation will know God, fear God, and worship God. The psalmist is saying, I don't know how all of this is going to work out. I don't know how one thing leads to another, but I do know where it's all going. It all leads to the nations giving glory to God. That was true then, and that is still true today. Whatever is happening in the world, whatever is happening in Washington, D.C., Whatever is happening in the nations, whatever is happening when disaster strikes, all of this somehow eventually leads to the nations worshiping Jesus. Somehow, some way, it all leads to people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every tongue falling down and casting their crowns before him. Look at verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. This statement is so important because we tend to think only about God as he deals with us right here and right now. 
But we need to remember, God doesn't just deal with us collectively, and God doesn't just deal with us individually, but we see this theme repeatedly in Scripture where God deals with generations. God is always at work, and His work is always bigger than us. And so the psalmist sees all of the devastation around him, and he says, you know, one day this is going to result in another generation, a future generation, a newly created people, he says, praising the Lord. Now, who is this newly created people who are one day going to praise the Lord? We are. God used the devastation of their day in order to prepare the people for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus. And through Jesus, salvation is proclaimed not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And as a result, here we are today, you have the living, breathing church, the body of Christ. I propose to you, we are that future people of which the psalmist spoke. And Look at what God is going to do through these newly created worshipers in verse 19. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. God looks down from his sanctuary and it says he hears the prisoners groaning. Now this can include literal prisoners, but I believe he has something much bigger in mind here. God looks down on those who are in the prison of sin. The psalmist says, God hears their groaning. Prisoners without hope. Prisoners without assurance. Prisoners without peace. Prisoners who are separated from God, who are unable to save themselves. They are groaning. They are groaning. Can you hear it? You can hear it if you're listening. But God hears the groaning of a lost world. And He knows they're hurting. And He understands their pain. And He's compassionate. And God's compassion for sinners ought to be our compassion for sinners as well. I heard somebody ask a question once. Somebody asked, if God answered every single prayer that you prayed last week, how many people would be saved as a result? If God prayed or God answered every single prayer you prayed just in the last week, how many folks would be saved? That's a good question. And how we answer that question, that says a lot about how much we understand about God's compassion for lost and groaning prisoners. God sees the prisoners and the psalmist says that his desire is to set them free. And folks, the cross is the only key that opens the prison door. But notice what comes next. God frees them 
not so that they can continue in their sin. God sets them free so that they can declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praises in Jerusalem. He frees us so that we can do what God created us to do. We are free to worship, free to serve God, free to be who God created us to be. And the psalmist chooses to believe in the unchanging promises of God in spite of everything that happened. He believes, he knows that God will keep his promises and God will make his name known among all the peoples. And everything God does is for that purpose. Remember that the next time you find yourself in a storm of life, the unchanging promises of God. But then we see one more thing in this psalm. We see the changeless character of Jesus. The changeless character of Jesus. I said earlier that this is a messianic psalm. It's all about Jesus. And we know it's all about Jesus because the author of Hebrews tells us in the very first chapter of the book of Hebrews. The uh, introduction uh, of this psalm says, a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Jesus ultimately is the one who prayed when he was afflicted. He was faint. He had the sin of the world placed on him, and he cried out to his Father in heaven. Now, the psalmist despairs, and he pours out his heart to God. We get to the end of the psalm, and what does God do? He, what does he do? He points them to Jesus. When we despair and we cry out to God, what does God do for us? The exact same thing. He points us to Jesus. Look at verse 23. It says, he weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. We don't know who wrote Psalm 102. We don't know how his strength was broken or how his life was cut short. But we do know that this is eventually about Jesus, that he is the one whose strength was broken with every blow, every thorn, every nail. He's the one whose life was shortened when he died on the cross. And yet, the rest of verse 24 says, your years are throughout all generations. Jesus's life was cut short, yet his years continue. How is that possible? It's possible because he died and he rose again and he lives forevermore. And because he is a living Savior, Hebrews 7, 25 says, he's always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Look at verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. In Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews begins this book by saying God in these last days 
has spoken to us by the Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And then he quotes seven different Old Testament passages. One of them, these last two verses of Psalm 102. The psalmist said, you laid the foundation of the earth. Who did that? Hebrews said Jesus did that. The heavens are the works of whose hands? Jesus' hands. By the way, there's absolutely no way you can take Psalm 102 in Hebrews chapter 1, place them side by side, and come to any other conclusion but that Jesus is God. You know, my family just got back from vacationing out west, and we were in a desert far away from civilization at one point. One of the things you notice when you go outside is how more brightly the stars shine at night. You ever done that? You ever gotten away from all of the light pollution in the city and Miami-Dade County? You get out there and you see just how much more brightly the stars shine. Well, the Word of God says here that every one of those stars will one day pass away. Not one of them, not one of them will last forever. They will perish. But verse 26 says that Jesus will endure. One day all of that will be exchanged for a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be like changing a garment. And again, who's going to do that? Jesus will do that. And all of this is leading somewhere. Look at verse 27. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The stars won't last, but you, Jesus, are the same. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus never changes. And don't you know deep down in your heart, this is exactly what we need. When the weather changes, we need a Savior who does not. When our circumstances change, we need a Savior who stays the same. When times get hard, uh, we need a compass where north is always north and south is always south. That's Jesus. Hebrews 13.8 says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he never changes, it says in verse 28, the children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. It is because Jesus is unchanging that we, his children, will be established. He will always be just as powerful and he'll always be just as faithful as he is right now. He's the shelter that will not fail in any of the storms of life. So trust him. Trust him with your plans. Trust him with your hopes. Trust him with your dreams. Trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your finances. Trust him with your children. And if you've never done so, trust him as Savior and Lord of your life today. Would you join me as we pray? Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you really are faithful in every storm of life. 
literal and figurative. You're faithful. And we thank you, God, that even though our lives may change and our lives are brief and our circumstances may change from one day to the next, in spite of that, God, you are always the same. You are now who you've always been and you will always be just as good and just as powerful and just as holy as you are right now. God, you don't need any improvements. You cannot become more perfect than you already are. And we thank you that because of that, we can trust you, we can cling to you, that you're there, that you hear the prayers of the desperate and the destitute. Your word says you hear the groaning of prisoners, those who are imprisoned in this world of sin, those who are imprisoned without hope. Lord, you hear them when they groan and they cry out to you. God, would you help us to be able to hear that groaning as well all around us? And we know, God, that this all points to Jesus. This all leads to that day and that time when every single people in this world, every people group will know him and cry out to him and worship him. And one day your word says they will all be represented around the throne. And so help us to see the big picture that whatever is happening in our lives right now, it all leads to that. It leads to the nations knowing Jesus. God, I know there are some people who right now are probably going through some unusual storm of life. Help them in the midst of that storm to remember these realities. Help them to remember that you are faithful. And God, help them to trust you, not just in the good times, not just when it's easy, not just when everybody's healthy and all the bills are paid and there are no major crises or challenges in their life. But Lord, help them in the midst of that storm, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even there to fear not and trust you. And know, Lord, that you've got this. You really are in control. God, I pray if there are any here today who've never come to that place of faith in Jesus Christ, there's never been that born-again moment where acknowledging their sin, they turned from their sin and and, and gave their hearts and their lives over to you. God, I pray that this would be that moment, that day, that Jesus becomes Lord of their lives. And that today, on August 14th, 2022, they would be gloriously saved. Have your way, God, in our midst and, and help us to be able to apply these things to our lives, wherever we are on our journey. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Would you just continue to pray for just a moment? And let me ask you this question before uh, we close. How many of you would, heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say, I am currently in the midst of one of those especially difficult storms of life? Uh, praise God for, for most of us, that's not every day. Or we wouldn't bear it. 
But there are those times, there are those seasons that you go through where the storm comes. And boy, is it a doozy. Maybe some of you are there right now and would say, Pastor, pray for me. I am in the midst of one of these storms of life, and I need to cling to and remember the unchanging promises of God. I need to uh, hold on to Him in spite of what my eyes are telling me, in spite of what my circumstances are telling me. So pray for me that, that just as God is faithful in the storm, I would be as well. Anybody here just by raising a hand that would say, Pastor, pray for me. Praise the Lord. Any others? That's me. I'm in the midst of that storm right now. Amen. God bless you. Father, I lift up those who raised a hand just a moment ago. Uh, Lord, they are in the midst of, a, of an especially difficult storm. Give them the grace that they need to follow you closely and keep their eyes on Jesus in the midst of this storm. And God, if it would be your will, I pray that you'd give them the blessing of reaching that point where one day they would be able to look back and see what you were doing and see where all of this was leading. Father, thank you. Anybody here that would say, I've never come to that point of placing my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, or I don't know if I died right now where I would spend eternity. The good news is that can change. First uh, John says these things were written so that we might know that we have eternal life. You can know. The Bible says that when you die, you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Anybody that would be here today and say, well, honestly, I don't know that. I'm not to that point, and I want to. Pray for me. Anybody just by raising a hand that would say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me this morning uh, that, that I would know that I have eternal life. Anybody? You know, if you're watching this online and you need to take that step of placing your faith in Christ, the Bible says... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so let me encourage you. Uh, Pastor Joe earlier in the service shared uh, a phone number. If you send a text message to that number, uh, 786-600-2829, uh, send a text message. If you send the word connect, you're going to get a link immediately. And if you will click on that link and fill that out, click send. Uh, I will get that. Pastor Joe will get that. Uh, somebody will be in touch with you. And uh, we would love just to share with you how you can know Christ and how you can know that you have eternal life. So please take a moment and do that and let us know how we can pray for you. Or if you want more information, if you just have questions, I had somebody last week watching online who, who, who sent in a, a connection card and said, I just have questions, want to know more. Had a great conversation. And we'd love to do that for any of you. So send that in and let us know uh, uh, how we can uh, pray for you or what questions you might have that we can help you to answer.